Hi, this is Katie Hendricks. I'm co-founder of the Hendricks Institute, and I'm delighted to be here on my quest for the best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Katie Hendricks. Through her work, Kathleen Hendricks, PhD, BCDMT, explores, researches, teaches, and publishes the how of consciousness, the structure and practices that transform fear into presence, connection, and creative solutions. She's the co-author of 12 books, including the best-selling Conscious Loving at the Speed of Life. Katie has trained hundreds of coaches in the U.S. and Europe. She's co-founded the Spiritual Cinema Circle and the Virtual Body Intelligence Summit. She's appeared on over 500 radio and TV programs and travels to over 1 million air miles as the ambassador for the work that she and her husband, Gay Hendricks, has developed. Kathleen earned her PhD in transpersonal psychology and has been a board-certified dance movement therapist of the American Dance Therapy Association since 1975, and she's here to talk with me about operational integrity and body intelligence for small business leaders. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's great to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Well, I'd say first comes to my mind is my grandmother, who was graduated from college at 19, supported her whole family by teaching piano. Her father died when she was little and became the president of the Music Federation Clubs of America. And it was her perseverance but also her love of music, her love of beauty that let me know that work and work and fulfillment can go together. What a wonderful lesson. Work and fulfillment can go together. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. You don't work and then come home and have your life. You can actually have a full life at work. And what a radical idea to be imparting. Not many people had that experience and especially not many women. No, not many women. And I also had the model of a woman who was very much empowered and very much in the workforce, you know, back when that just wasn't done, because my grandmother was born in 1896. What do you think led to that opportunity? Or was it just she was born with this drive and these talents that were able to be expressed and had the opportunity to do that around the turn of the century? My sense is one, it was necessity that there wasn't a man in the house. So she took over and she used what she loved to do to find a way to make a living from that. And that was what was really most intriguing to me, that you don't have to look around and see what's available, that you can really come from your own, what we call genius, what it is you most love to do, and create a way to do that in the world. And as I'm thinking about that, I realized that I have done that my entire life. I have not worked for anybody since I was 26 years old and have been an entrepreneur 
doing a very fringy kind of work, you know, being a dance movement therapist. I made a very good living being a dance movement therapist for many, many years, and then was able to use that perspective of we're whole people. We're, we're not just heads walking around. We're whole people, and that we can bring our passions to work and that we can actually use our passions to form the kind of work not only that we want to do, but that can make a contribution to others, make a difference for others in their lives. And that is the real trick. What I want to emphasize and just highlight here is how what you said about what your grandmother did, she thought about what she loved to do and then how could she could use that to make a living. The default choices in her time were pretty much three careers for women, if I understand correctly. My reading of it is that you were either a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary, and those were the three career options that women had available to them. And instead, she found a way to support herself. And I just want to highlight that and leave it there for entrepreneurs to think about because so many can relate to that act of creation. And we're in for some real treats as we now talk about operational integrity. I'm going to read a a couple sentences that open up this white paper that you wrote. The word integrity appears in most companies' vision and mission statements. New employees are expected to measure up to the company's integrity standard. Testimonial dinners often extol the recipient's stellar integrity. And when a problem occurs, everybody claims the high moral ground of superior integrity. Yet no one seems to be able to know how to define or develop integrity. Katie, how do we function under such circumstances? <laughs> well, I think very haphazardly, if you just look around, <laughs> do what? That one of the definitions of integrity that I most love is a wholeness, a complete wholeness with nothing wanting. And I think integrity, most people experience that as a moral issue, and they hear it is as what's wrong with me? Because most of us are so used to operating ourselves by criticizing ourselves and expecting criticism from others. And what we know is that criticism is not only a relationship killer, but it also kills your own creativity, your momentum, your perseverance, your ability to really get a lot done. And so actually seeing integrity as a way to experience wholeness and to recover your wholeness if something gets broken. For example, if you had an agreement to come to the meeting at nine o'clock and you didn't show up until 10 after, which is a very, very common experience, that there are ways through operational integrity to repair that, to repair your agreements so that you can come back to a sense of operating in wholeness. I'm going to just highlight a couple of things that you said to make sure that people get the principle of what you're sharing, because it's so important. Many of us experience in the workplace integrity being used as a bludgeon in the false way or the negative way of holding oneself or others accountable. Well, you're out of integrity because you didn't show up at the meeting, or your report was late, or it's incomplete. And what you're helping us see is that there's a wholeness to it. What was it you said? Wholeness with nothing wanting. Yes, a completeness with nothing wanting. Mm. And that applies not just to a spiritual state, but also to a material state, a, a material state of conditions wanting for nothing. They are complete as agreed upon. Is that, would you feel comfortable extending that definition to that arena as well? 
Oh, absolutely. And what we talk about and what we've practiced for many, many years and share with others is that integrity skills are actually doable. They're not woo-woo. They're not something that you aspire to or wish that you could do. They're actually practices. So, for example, we say that agreements are your canary in the coal mine and that if your agreements are clear, so if you make agreements that you want to make. You keep the agreements that you make, and you know how to change agreements when they're not working. If you've got that one, that's really your high level. Uh, it will give you a sense of your barometer or you know your uh, what is needing attention. And if there are problems with agreements, there are going to be problems in all of the other areas of integrity. So if you want to do a quick integrity assessment, look at agreements first. And that's often what we found is that gets companies and entrepreneurs into trouble. And it's often, you know, what's really surprising, Bill, is that it's often because people will make an agreement that their body wisdom is telling them not to do. It's not the right time or it's not the right person, but they override that. So overriding your body wisdom really gives you a link between things going wrong, and integrity issues. And everyone can relate to their body signals, whether it's gulping when they're being told that a deadline's been moved up, or it's the tenseness that someone feels in their gut or their chest when they're being asked to do something they've never done before and being told it's more important than anything they've ever done before. What is it that people can do to strengthen their ability to listen to that signal and know that if there's a time to speak up before they're brought into an, ag an agreement that they really don't wish to be part of. Yes, we really counsel people to do something very simple. And there's research behind this, which we can point to, that the quickest body intelligence move you can do to regroup and kind of restart yourself is to take three easy connected breaths and change your physical position. So most of us, if I were getting a message of, you know, this, we have a deadline, this was actually due yesterday, but we didn't tell you about it. And so you got to get it done by five o'clock today. A lot of people would freeze, you know, in fear or hunker down or get into a fight, fight kind of position. Why didn't you tell me about that? And they then don't have access to their whole body thinking. They get caught in fear. And so if people simply will train themselves and actually train themselves when they're not in that critical position to learn how to take three easy breaths and change their physical position. Just do that periodically through the day. And then that is a practice that you can easily integrate when you're in that tough kind of in the moment situation. Yeah, I can imagine how making this a deliberate practice where maybe before you check email, you take three breaths and get up and take a walk and then come back and do that so that you're now resetting your body, you're paying attention to it, you're raising awareness, and you're starting from a place of not being driven or pressured. Not being driven or pressured, especially driven or pressured by fear. Most people don't realize that our culture is not only run by speed, it's really run by, you know, this addiction to speed, but also the addiction to adrenaline. And people mistake really being motivated 
for adrenaline. And when you really pay attention to your body, especially very simply letting yourself do what scientists call pattern interrupt, that if you're looking at something intently and on your email and you can't figure out how to do it, most people would just lean in more and type away and forget at all that they have a body. And if you just take a moment to shift your physical position, take a breath then you really do reset your whole energy system. Because most people don't realize that when you're simply talking or you're thinking, you're only using a small part of your brain. But when you're deliberately breathing more deeply and you're actually moving your body, that activates all of the different parts of your brain. So you actually are a better problem solver. You're better under stress. And we forget that because we're such a head-centric society. What you said earlier, I'd like to return to because society does seem to value being sped up. It values people jumping when somebody gives an order to move and people carry around this fear. In fact, I'm sure that any of us can walk around an office and see at least one or two people who look like they're working on their computer as if they're still being chased by a bear. Their shoulders are hunched and (laughs) they have this grim expression on their face and it's, it's being experienced On the inside, it's being manifest in the way that we hold ourselves, and all it would take is just to make it known and part of the company culture to be able to take a little chance just to shake it out, just to take a breath, reset the body position. How is it we ended up in this position, Kay? Why is it that we're addicted to adrenaline and fear from your perspective? My sense is, you know, particularly I think since the car got invented, we've assumed that faster is better. And one of the things that we've explored, and I have had lots of my clients, in fact, one of my clients who who runs a very successful entrepreneurial troubleshooting company, both here and internationally, she realized that she was actually never really where she was. She was always ahead of the meeting that she was in or the flight that she was about to take or the paper that she was writing because she was already speeding up to see what's next. And that lack of presence, I mean, I think if we could calculate how much that costs us, it would be in the billions because it's not only lost productivity, but it is also the health costs of people who are not caring for themselves and end up sick And end up, I remember one of the people I was coaching in uh, Motorola, one of the vice presidents, had so, he was so sped up and so running from adrenaline that he had to run his business, his part of the business, on his back from his bed for six months because his back went out. Your body will let you know when it's really, really stressed, but, but unfortunately, most of us don't listen until it's really an emergency. Or your body pulls the emergency cord and says, all right, that's it. (laughs) It says like, you know, you're going down. You're like, when when someone's back goes out, everybody knows that, you know, they're on any given day, there are about 70 million people in the United States that have back problems. And, you know, my sense is that so much of that is because we treat our bodies like a machine rather than caring for them and knowing that we're 
our intelligence resides in all of our body, not just in our head. You know, Thomas Edison said in the last century, he said that the only good aspect of your body is as a vehicle to carry your head from place to place. And a lot of people have that orientation, but what we've really seen and what our, you know, our clients, whether it's at Dell or, you know, or at Monsanto or at Motorola, all of the people that we've worked with over the years, we've really found that asking yourself this really central question, how am I experiencing this right now in my body? And giving a moment to really notice what is your body saying increases people's productivity, their creativity, their collaboration, and also their strategies. Because when people are caught up in speed, I think, you know, going, going, doing, doing, we don't really give a chance for the intuition, the growth of creativity. And also another key factor that people don't often think about, which is appreciation that being sensitively aware of and focusing primarily on what's working are one of the most powerful fuel sources that we have not only for ourselves, but also in collaboration with others. And in contrast, when we're speeded up, when we're in adrenaline, that's actually identical to fear. When people are in adrenaline, they're basically in fear. And when you're in fear, you not only separate from yourself, but when I'm in fear, you look like the enemy. And so turf wars, competition, gossiping, you know, secrets, all of those kinds of things that tend to go on under the surface are actually run by fear. And as people come into really caring for themselves and knowing that your body is your reservoir, your body's your fuel source, and that there are ways to renew that that are very easy that people just overlook because they're basically ignoring their bodies. Katie, you said something that I want to ask if you would expand on, and that was about adrenaline. We had, Before the interview, you said adrenaline was a non-renewable resource. Can you explain what you mean by that? Oh, I sure would. Yeah. Adrenaline is a chemical that the body produces, and it is the most powerful chemical that a molecule that is that we know of. Scientists keep trying to invent something more powerful than adrenaline, and they're getting close. But adrenaline is so powerful that most people only use up a tablespoon in their lifetime. That a molecule of adrenaline you know, puts your body into a flurry of emergency, emergency, and it cannot be renewed. So in other words, adrenaline takes from you, it drains the reservoir, whereas breathing, moving your body in new ways, opening yourself, opening your posture rather than closing your posture, letting people actually connect with you, keeping eye contact with people when you're expressing yourself, listening consciously to others. Those are all ways of renewing your fuel source and filling your reservoir. And there's also a really, really important one that's sort of invisible to us. I call it, um, the question is, where are your eyeballs? That we're in a culture now where everybody wants your eyeballs. They want you to click, they want you to give attention to, they want you to use your attention to go outside of yourself and not pay attention to you. So one of the quickest ways that I 
have for people to reset their energy levels is to do a little attention dance, which is giving attention outside of you and then giving attention to you, giving attention to what am I experiencing right now? How am I breathing? Feeling your feet, doing something as simple as feeling your feet. We have lots of our, particularly some of our European colleagues who who run companies, they regularly have people as they're sitting around the table at a meeting, they'll have them just move their feet, kind of do a little under the table, little stomping or dance to just realize, oh, ha, huh, here I am in my body. If I give attention to me as much as I give attention to people outside of me, especially like in a meeting, I'm listening to somebody, I don't agree with them, I have something else I want to say, but I get all involved in like leaning forward and interrupting rather than <sighs> taking a breath, feeling myself, giving myself attention, appreciating me for being in the meeting. And that's a direct like water in the reservoir for you. And if people learn that very simple technique of giving attention to the room and giving attention to yourself, it actually not only resets your own energy system, but it resets and makes available, makes more presence available in the room. So it affects your colleagues when you bring yourself to this centered place and are, are in more in touch with your body. It creates a safer environment for others to do the same. It creates not only a safe environment, and that's such an important thing these days because you know, there's just so much about how we communicate to each other and, you know, what's allowed and what is not allowed and how we speak to each other. And, but it, all of that is run by fear. And as people on, I've developed a whole program that is about moving from fear to hear, restoring resourcefulness and creating caring communities. And at the base of that is recognizing that our culture is pretty much run by fear now. We've been in a fear trance for many years. And that as we give attention to our bodies and we give attention to just giving presence to ourselves and then particularly breathing. I've had one of my colleagues was in a very important meeting, a strategy meeting at Dell Computers a few years back. And she wasn't even sitting in the main meeting. She was sitting in one of the chairs, you know, on, on the outer circle. And she, they had gotten into an impasse. And what she did was to simply change her physical position and focus on breathing easily. She didn't even say anything. She just breathed easily. And in about five minutes, the group had found its way through that bramble bush and had an open space for a new solution. So we think that it is in the words that the solutions happen, but the words are really just, uh, you know, they're the end of the nozzle of the hose that's attached to the fire hydrant that is your full aliveness. And if there's no juice there, if there's no water, there's not anything that's going to come out the nozzle. I love the imagery of using the nozzle. And I also want to back up as to why people won't turn the faucet. I want to just expand on some of those ideas that you said about fear. I think that people listening can recognize that in today's social media environment, we're afraid of speaking up because we'll be laughed at, we'll be mocked, we'll be ridiculed for our ideas and contributing to a meeting. We're afraid fear is rampant throughout small businesses and within the clients we serve if we work with larger businesses because people don't want to look foolish. 
people don't want to be the first to point out that something is drastically wrong. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree, Bill. And that's one of the reasons I've been, I and my community have been putting together a whole program of videos that are going to be available to people to learn how to shift out of fear. We really call it from fear to here. And I've developed these simple movements and I can send you the link so that you can share it with people, but you can find it on our Foundation for Conscious Living website. And they're called Fear Melters. And you can also find it on YouTube. I created an animation that is um, just Fear Melters animation. If you go to YouTube and it will outline the whole problem for you in six minutes of what happens to our bodies when we're in fear, what happens to our relationships, how we can shift from fear to here so that we can actually be present and we can actually connect with others. Because when you're in fear, you cannot connect because not only are you not here, but you see other people as the other. So true. When you're in fear, you're in a state of being frozen and having your shields up to protect yourself. Yes, you're either in fight where other people look like, oh, that's a stupid idea, or you're in flee, oh, well, what will happen if we do this and, and, and the other people don't come through, or you're frozen when you think, uh-oh, you're going to pick on me, or you faint when you just feel so overwhelmed. There's so much coming at you, and you don't know whether you're going to be able to mediate between what's going on in marketing and what's going on with delivery and the processes that are off schedule. And so people literally experience these four levels of fear all the time. And what we found is that shifting, if you can shift from fear to here, even for just a moment, that not only resets your own system, but it makes that experience of presence available for others. We know that feelings are contagious, but we only think that negative feelings are contagious. But presence is contagious. And we also, we can give our presence to others. And when I listen and I appreciate, that doesn't mean I'm being all, you know, nice and gooey, but when I'm appreciating, I'm actually giving my sensitive awareness to you. And I'm listening for what is it that you really want? I'm listening for what we call the opening. Where is a place where we could join together to create something new? And people receive that. We've seen that so many hundreds of times of when someone is listened to, that is such a viable expression of appreciation that people receive. And it allows them to not only get here, but it allows them to access their creativity. And if people don't are thinking, oh, our company is not, we're not, we're not creating new things. I would look at, well, are you generating a space where creativity is appreciated or are you having everybody operate out of fear and stress and deadlines and we got to beat the others and we got to keep secrets and the way that business has been run for a very long time. And what we found is that when you are opening to creating presence and connection and collaboration with others, it's much more effective and that people stay longer. They contribute their ideas. They feel valued and everybody benefits, including the bottom line. Well, Katie, what you've shared with us today is a full masterclass (laughs) in understanding (laughs) how to change the culture of our organizations. You've talked about how lucky you were to be inspired by your grandmother who made such enormous leaps. And you say out of necessity, but I think that there's much more to the story about the kind of woman your grandmother was. Yes. (laughs) 
you talked about and helped us understand how integrity is really a feeling or a sense of completeness and wholeness with nothing wanting. And that's really important to wrap our minds around. You've shared with us how to think about stopping the onslaught of negative patterns through pattern interrupts and just interrupting it so that it doesn't flow continuously. And that could be done individually by just standing up and moving around and taking three breaths that are connected, or it could be done in a group setting within a company just by reconnecting with your own feet or doing things that are tangibly evident to be able to connect with our body intelligence. You've shared with us how to look for our own energy and not let adrenaline squeeze out appreciation. You've taught us to ask the question, where are your eyeballs? Because everyone's fighting for our, energy, our attention, and it's up to us to decide who we give it to and whether it's worthy of us putting our attention and energy in those places. And it, it surprises me, but it really shouldn't, that I always learn so much when I pay attention to you and Gay, because you've helped expand my understanding of the fear or flight mechanism to also incorporate frozen or faint. So, Katie, for these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Oh, thank you. My total pleasure. Katie, where's a web address where we could find out more about your work online? Uh, we have two websites. One is hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com, where you can read about our in-person seminars, where we really teach people how to access their own body intelligence and how to use that at home and at work. And we also have the Foundation for ConsciousLiving.com. And that's where you can find a huge amount of information about how to move from fear to hear, how to use fear melters, and how to use that not only to restore your own resourcefulness, but in your company and among your friends and, uh, you know, with your family, if you're really daring. <laughs> We're going to link to both of those websites. Would you just give them to me one after the other again, just the Hendrix.com and then Hendrix.com and Foundation for Conscious Living.com. Fantastic. Katie Hendricks, once again, thank you so much. I appreciate the time and thoughtfulness of you being really here with me today. Oh, thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments, and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.